If you're a teacher, instructional designer, or curriculum developer, which is pretty much the same thing depending on what environment you consider it to be, you most likely have heard about Bloom's Taxonomy. As a matter of fact, many folks today that call themselves instructional designers are misusing, misquoting, and misciting uh, Bloom's Taxonomy. It's being used in many other angles and perspectives that was not their original purpose. And this episode of Styler Origins will clear everything out for you. We'll set it straight so you know exactly what the original work in 1956 was supposed to be or what it's meant to do and why it was revised in 2001 as well as to perhaps why it was contended. In other words, it was challenged because of the weaknesses that it has from its original structure and what was done on the revision 2001 to do so. My name is Alex Salas. This is Style Origins. Let's have fun. One thing to remind you is that everything you're going to hear today is very factual. It's all based on literature. I spend hours looking and searching in Google Scholar, different search databases as well to find this information in no way yet. I'm not being sponsored to do this and I welcome anyone to uh, have any ideas for sponsorship. But otherwise, there's a link in the description of this episode where you can give any type of help if you like to have this content continue. Obviously, I will do it just for that. But if you want to help, I highly appreciate it and thank you for doing so. Okay, let's get to it. Let's talk about Moon's taxonomy. If you look at the original work, which is the Taxonomy of Educational Objectives by Benjamin Bloom and friends, I will say, um, it's some great work that actually attempted to solve a problem that was happening due to the events of the 1940s in the United States. The 1940s were pretty heavy for the United States, very active and very influential for our educational system. For example, it is known that due to the war, there was a massive effort of drafting and recruiting folks. And the army was having uh, big problems because it had to reject millions of folks due to the fact that they could not read or write. So literacy was a problem. In 1942, shortage of teachers is reported because most of them have gone to support the war industry jobs. If you consider it, we have 14 million people gone or so, or a bunch of million people gone for the war. So we didn't have a lot of talent left here in the States and teachers stepped up, women stepped up as well and helped us build up the support structures to win the war. If you want to know more about that, check out the episode on the training with the industry or TWI movement, which has an influence and it has an impact on what we're discussing today. So, so far we're talking about 1942, 1939, um, and in 1944, we passed the Servicemen Readjustment Act that is known as the GI Bill. Well, what do you think that does? That created a funnel of funding for colleges to move to get people educated because the army you know learned its lesson uh, based on the situation and the government acted quickly 
to get things uh, moving and we can uh, educate people and be ready for another conflict with people that can actually read and write. 1946, it is reported that 53% of college students are veterans and that created an influx of folks in academia. In other words, college students, most likely if you look to your right or look to the left and you were a college student at that time, if you were not one, the people next to you were veterans. So with that, we know that we have the invention of the multiple choice quiz or the multiple choice exam somewhere in 1917 or maybe 30s. I'll have to check the info on that. Don't worry, it'll come back here. I'll have it. But we have already an implementation of mass examinations. So mass testing. So if we look at the, all the links, by the way, are here on the description. You can check it out. So we're talking about 1914. So 1914, uh, folk, let's see. Frederick J. Kelly, author of the Kansas Silent Reading Test, uh, invented the multiple choice question. And that multiple choice question format uh, helped a lot in the school academic settings in terms of mass production, I will say. So if you think about it, we have this influx of audience, right? Students in the, at the college level. So college needed, colleges needed to adapt quickly. Apparently college examiners were inundated and creating exam items and it became a, re a repetitive and annoying process. There is a link, another link in the description because I've done two interviews with Dr. Lauren Anderson Dr. Lauren Harrison wrote the, the, revision, the revision of Bloom's Taxonomy, of the original work. And he also commiserated this information with me. In other words, he's the one that first informed me of this, and then I went and looked at it. And it's the fact that, yes, returning GIs, uh, going to college, and that was a big need. So Benjamin Bloom, who was an educational psychologist and primarily a college examiner at the time, is hanging out 1948 at the American Psychological Association's convention, the APA. If you're taking any college courses or if you're in a master's program, you know what APA is. It's how, you know, they decide how do you write the things and it's all for all psychologists. It's their association. So Bloom's have this idea of creating a classification system for learning objectives. Why? Because learning objectives, according to Tyler's, Ralph Tyler's was the main theory pioneer of curriculum evaluation. Learning objectives are the foundation of all instructional design or curriculum development. And without them, you don't really have a good alignment. So you're going to have an alignment of assignments, objectives to assignments to test items. And Otherwise, you won't know if your test items are accurate or not. Now, this is something that college examiners do very well and psychometrists alike do very well. I'm not pretending to be one and I don't know many instructional designers that are one. So we have the original taxonomy and taxonomy is to create a classification system. If you read the original book, which it is known to be said that is the most cited book in education, but the least read. And that was a quote from Benjamin Bloom. You can find on the 2001 revision book uh, by Dr. Anderson. 
But let's not move forward. Let's stick with this 1956 stuff. We're in 1956. They publish this taxonomy work. And it had its criticisms, but it did a few things. So first established three domains, which are the cognitive, affective, and psychomotor domains. They intended to develop handbooks for each of these domains, but they never got to it. The only one they really got to do was the cognitive one. So when you look at Bloom's taxonomy and you look at the original work, obviously, if you Google it today, you're going to see some pyramid, which is wrong. It's not the right way to represent the taxonomy, but I'm guessing the people did that because there was a problem with the taxonomy in the be to begin with. So in the cognitive domain, the taxonomy had a locking hierarchy, in other words, a hierarchy of the categories. We talked about the domains, which is the cognitive, affective, and psychomotor. Cognitive meaning the mental processes, how we use, you know, we transfer from short-term memory to long-term memory, we comprehend information, we apply the information from one uh, context to the next. Uh, we analyze items so we can break down the information and make sense of it. And then the other levels of that or the categories in that, because they never really call them levels. The categories are to recap with you, knowledge being the first one, meaning that you have to know something to learn it. You have to remember, recall it, remember it. You have comprehension after that. And that means that you sort of understand, you understand the nuances. The basic level of understanding is comprehension. After that, we have application. So now that you have knowledge and you have comprehension, you can apply that knowledge and comprehension of something to another uh, context. So obviously, let's say if you know how to do a video, you perhaps can do a video animation. Um, it's a similar context. You can use one uh, learning tool from another learning tool. And if you look at, or there are similarities, for example, in e-learning software and video editing software, they both have timelines, they both have publishing, right? So if um, we go on application, we have that, we have analysis, which is you break down the information. And after that, we go into synthesis and in synthesis we are recognizing patterns and creating new knowledge based on our ability to do all the things that we mentioned before at a synthesis then we have evaluation that means you can actually take a look uh, judge something um, measure it in a way or evaluate its worth its value in all of that but the notion in the original taxonomy is that you couldn't do evaluation unless you were able to do knowledge all the levels before or the categories before that created a problem because cognitive psychologists at the time sort of wanted to challenge that and saying well that's sim a simplification of the cognitive process or the learning of the learning process so the one thing about the original taxonomy is that it wasn't based on a cognitive process it was this cognitive domain broken down into these categories and sort of map to the, in, you know, just dealing with the cognitive domain. So regardless of how you use Bloom's taxonomy, how you think it works, the way it's supposed to work is that you are creating learning objectives, 
then you're going to the taxonomy to evaluate your objectives against the taxonomy. If you wrote at the, uh, an objective and the objective was sort of a, you know, remember something or state uh, list all the states in the United States, you will then check the taxonomy and see where does that fall. And obviously if I said list all the, in the United States, that falls under knowledge, on the knowledge category. But the authors, including Benjamin Bloom, do mention that there were concerns in creating the taxonomy because the biggest fear they had, or one of the fears and concerns they have, is that teachers were going to use the taxonomy instead of creating their objectives and designing their curriculum. Now, I have to say that again because it's very important. A lot of people today are just assuming, and, and, and I don't blame anybody because really when you go look at academic programs today, if you take a master's in instructional design, even if you don't take any master's or if you don't go to any college program, just Google it. Google Bloom's Taxonomy, and you're going to see all different kinds of interpretations that really have nothing to do with the book, nothing to do with the original intent, and nothing to do with the revisions. I don't know where that came from, but hey, that's what it is. So the notion today is that, oh no, you grab Bloom's Taxonomy as a tool, and you find the objectives, and you borrow from that, and that's how you create your objectives. And that is not the right way to do it. Why is it not the right way? Well, because it's going to provide sort of, it's going to give you a bias in how you create the objectives. So what you want to do, according to, and confirmed by Dr. Lauren Anderson, and also confirmed by the book. The link is in the description. Go check it out. It's really good. The original book says that the objectives come from different sources, and those sources are obviously information uh, that the teachers know, you know, what the teacher is intending the student behavior to be. So those are key words here used. Well, what's the intended behavior of the student as the outcome of the instruction? I'm going to read a quick quote here that's going to really break it down, but it says that the formulation of educational objectives is a matter of conscious choice on the part of the teaching staff based on previous experience and aided by consideration of several kinds of data. Very important, right? It's not saying anything about using the taxonomy. It says the final selection and ordering of the objectives become a matter of making use of the learning theory and philosophy of education, which the faculty accepts. Questions that will help you determine this, and we can see now the linkage to workplace instructional design is the following paragraph. And this is on page 26. One type of source commonly used in thinking about objectives is the information available about the students. Hmm, target audience analysis, right? What is the their present level of development? That's one thing, that's one question to consider. What are their needs? That's another question to consider. What are their interests? I got to tell you that it is going to be an episode of interests and you're going to be blown away because this goes back to like 1800s. Interest is one of the key elements for learning. Everybody talks about engagement, 
but interest is what drives everything. So another source for adjectives is available from investigations of the conditions. Listen to this. Investigations of the conditions and problems of contemporary life, which make demands on young people and adults and which provide opportunities for them. That means that if you are working in the workplace, it's no different than what the performance improvement movement has sort of taught us or set to do, which is you have to evaluate the environment. You have to do a job task analysis. If you don't have that information, obviously, if you already have the information about the job, then great. You don't have to do that, but you have to know, you have to observe people working. You have to observe the environment and what it involves. It's not enough just to talk to a subject matter expert and take their word for it. To close this off, it basically says, what are the activities that individuals are expected to perform? What are the problems they are likely to encounter? This is 1956. This is before all the talk that we have with Gilbert and Gagné and all of that. What are the opportunities they are likely to have for service and self-realization? So obviously we're talking about education, but all of this links to what we do, what needs to be done in workplace learning. Now they close by saying that other things that come around is the nature of the subject matter and deliberations of the subject matter specialists on the contributions, right? Primarily what we see today may be in many cases when people are not experienced, just dealing with subjects and the subject matter. And the questions we hit before are critical questions of needs analysis, which informs your the creation of your learning objectives. Simple as that. So the books, uh, the books are great because the original as well as the revision does give you examples of the objectives. And it's almost like a um, self-test game that you can do because It will give you the problems and then there's a key 20 pages later. So I really recommend that if you are in the field of instructional design and you're going to use the taxonomy, that you inform yourself with this, with this, which is, it really, I mean, it's, it, it states the beginning of, you know, skills, knowledge, and abilities and how they apply to the development of objectives. And the whole point is that the objectives are for you, the designer. They are not for the students. The objectives are for the teachers, the people that are designing the stuff, not for the students, not for the learners. We have to take in consideration, obviously, adult learners, and that's where the revision comes in. But let's talk about some of the weaknesses. So some of the weaknesses that were reported and the authors agreed to, in other words, that they recognize that yes, those are some weaknesses. We'll really talk about the hierarchy. The hierarchy is a weakness because it was tested later by some folks and it did, and the correlations really didn't hit in terms of validating the, um, the hierarchy. This is why 40 years later or so, or yeah, close to a little bit over 40 years, someone touches on the door or knocks on the door of Dr. Lauren Anderson, and he is tasked with creating the revision of Bloom's taxonomy. If you are working today, this is 2023. If you're working today in any capacity, you should not be touching the original taxonomy. You should be working with the revision of Bloom's taxonomy. 
if you go on YouTube, then you'll see what I mean, because there are a bunch of videos out there. They are just wrong. And this is from, obviously, some of them are LMS vendors, which, you know, LMS vendors should not be in the business of sharing any information. I mean, one of them, actually, I saw that posted an article and said that Bloom's taxonomy is a learning theory. And no way. It's not a theory or a model at all. It's just a classification system. That's it. So going into the 2001 revision, uh, Dr. Leonard Anderson, in our interview, he told me he read the book probably around four times because there was a lot to unpack there from the original. And he did not want to diminish or let's say degrade the work. <clears throat> he wanted to be able to improve it. And he worked with several of the folks. One of those was actually Dr. Richard Mayer, who is uh, known for the, well, first of all, he's one of the most prolific researchers out there, but I, I interviewed him before. He also has, um, he's known for the multimedia design principles of multimedia design, instructional design, and you know, he's a cognitive psychologist. And uh, he was involved in this project as well. David Crothwell, who was original, an original contributor to the taxonomy, to the original taxonomy, taxonomy. And he's also the author of the effective domain taxonomy. So he actually put the, the effective domain taxonomy, which has to do with the attitudes and feelings and, um, let's say mental disposition of learners, right? So we learn by different things. And one of those is how we feel about our capacity or instruction, metacognition, all of that. In the 2001 revision, there is a book. I mean, it turned into a book, produces a book. And the book uh, title is A Taxonomy for Learning and Teaching and Assessing. So there is a quick, uh, a quick distinction there. There was a change of words, there was a change of levels, and there was a change of the categories. Uh, primarily the categories in the beginning were nouns, right? So knowledge is a noun, comprehension is a noun, and those were changed. So the change happened with knowledge being remembering. So now the new level, the first level is remembering, the second level from comprehension to understanding. Right, so understanding is that and uh, after understanding then we do have application and we have analysis but the last two levels or the last two categories were switch and change so evaluation used to be the top level now it's not it's the second to last and creation is the top level it makes complete sense to me in that sense when you look at it creation involves the is a consummation of everything. I mean, if you create a novel, you already have a domain of different areas. And the beauty of this is that nah, it's not hierarchical. So the book, if you check the book out, is a great book. And the book breaks down a few things. But I have to warn you that the book was not meant for instructional designers. It was dedicated, or let's say it was focused on teachers, just pretty much like the first work self is is an education their educational objectives it has none to do with um i mean it's related to instructional design if you're going to use educational principles but um they don't have let's say work 
work industry or workplace performance improvement in that sense as a, as the main focus. So the changes uh, were not only in the category, but also we have changes that um, included all the audiences. So they do mention that the audiences can lend to be uh, more of teachers of all grade levels, uh, but the, they really focus on elementary and secondary classroom teachers. And that's the, the key thing they base there. So I don't know how teachers use this today. I've never seen a teacher really. I mean, I've seen teachers talk about a little thing, uh, a lot of things. I don't know if that's part of it. It might be part of what is given to them by committee uh, when they work in groups. So it'd be great if you are a teacher, you can let us know. Um, click on the message button when you go to our page at anchor.fm slash styler-origins. There's a message button there and anybody is welcome to leave a message if you want to have your voice feature, you know, your message feature in the next episodes. Now we do have subcategories and there's some big changes in terms of cognitive processes. So they include the notion of cognitive processes and uh, those are subcategories that are tagged to each of the levels that we're talking about or categories we're talking about. And that includes metacognition. So that is knowing about what you know. And metacognition is super important because there's some linkage there between metacognition and the affected domain. But also that uh, is an improvement based on the based on the changes that we had in cognitive psychology. Um, it had been, you know, 40 some years. So that's important. So from there on the revision of Bloom's taxonomy, uh, we have to consider the following, right? Is, you know, it's not something that still, even the, the revision, it is not hierarchical, meaning that you can start creating something and, um, you know, gather all the other as all the other levels or, you know, control the other levels as you go along. Obviously, if it's for testing purposes and, and the revision kind of opens to assessments, if you, and, and that's the difference, right? Because testing is just testing back in the original one, we're talking about examinations. So testing, but here, if we say assessment, an assessment to me can include a test. It can include many other different things, group activities, writing activities, uh, projects, that type of thing. The revision of Lone's taxonomy kind of says that work, but not many people know about it. People seem to be caught up on the 1956 version. That could be because there was a development with a, an evaluation model uh, named uh, PPBS, and it's used by the Pentagon back in the 60s, and that was like planning, programming, budget, and uh, system or something like that. And that became the chosen when there was a big influx of money. There was funding for education due uh, of uh, Lyndon Johnson's uh, War on Poverty. So this is like 1965 or something like that. And uh, because of that, then school systems, or let's say senators, I said, you know, as, as usual, senators in the government wanted a way to measure, to have measurable accountability for all this money that's going to be given to all the school systems. 
So they wanted to see some kind of outcomes or results out of it. And they demanded that, right? So reporting, some kind of reporting. And because of that, then the school systems adopted Bloom's taxonomy as the chose, you know, as the tool, as the chosen element for that. So there you have it. That's probably why you hear Bloom's taxonomy everywhere and for everything. And you probably never heard of the Marsano Kendall taxonomy, which is the latest taxonomy to come around in 2001. Kind of concurrent with that, but the second edition book that I have a link here is that of uh, 2007, published in 2007. The Marsano Kendall taxonomy probably is going to need its own evaluation of it, uh, its own uh, episode per se, but there are some good improvements in there. It seems very interesting. I'm just surprised that, you know, I went through a master's in, in education, training and development, never mentioned, never heard of it. The only thing I heard about was Moon Taxonomy. Maybe that's your experience as well. So it'll be interesting to know if that's something that you experience. But that's what we have. That's what Bloom's Taxonomy is. Uh, and so let's um, let's kind of wrap it up. Let's do a quick summary of things, right? So, you know, no instructional designer should be using the old one and it should be quoting the old taxonomy. Unless you are intending to work for the original purpose, which is just creating a task. Um, in that perspective, then okay, maybe that works, but know that there is a 2001 revision and that 2001 revision took things further, improved the work considerably. So I will say that if you're using 1956, the original version, you are outdated in the work you're doing. And regardless of the case, you might have to modify some things, but it does address, you can definitely address performance or measurable objectives in that sense. Don't forget also that if you look at the last episode that we recorded with Learning Objectives, I cover many other different publications and many other influential publications of Learning Objectives, including obviously Robert Magger, a 1962 preparation of educational or behavioral objectives. And uh, you can tell what the frustration was there, obviously, and I think I mentioned in that episode the same, because he starts with like everybody talks about objectives and nobody tells you how to do it in his book he takes an approach as well that's interesting but know that both publications have guidance on how to do the objectives in other words like examples and what qualifies and what doesn't qualify and most likely when people write objectives without using taxon the taxonomy up front you might come up with things like understand and you know, do this or do that. And those will be kind of hard to measure per se, but that's the whole idea. So you start getting used to knowing, you know, using what to do. If you just go straight to the taxonomy and you just grab an article, uh, you know, an, a, a verb there, you're not really working that muscle. All you're doing is uh, copying and pasting from one end, you know, one verb to another. Uh, the last thing uh, that Dr. Anderson said is that he likes to have a balanced approach. So you should have some um, level, you know, you should have some at least comprehension that there might be some hierarchy between comprehension, um, not comprehension, sorry. Let me correct that. There might be a hierarchy between remembering or the first three, let's say, but you can skip the others in that sense and to keep a balanced set of objectives. For workplace learning, for performance-based instructional design. 
my suggestions is that yes you should use the taxonomy as a guide for the measurable cognitive cognitive aspects but you should definitely check the psychomotor taxonomy that is out there or the affected taxonomy as well and the verbs should really just know that when you're addressing the stuff you're only addressing mental processes you're not addressing actions or you know manual psychomotor elements and in many cases depending on what job you're addressing that job may have that requirement that's why being based on the task rather than a subject is better and being based on the task rather than just the mental process will lead to better outcomes in that way all right well this has been the episode on the taxonomy of educational objectives or bloom's taxonomy uh bloom's taxonomy uh, benjamin bloom you know did more than that as well there's another video on my youtube channel about the discussion that i have with uh, dr anderson about uh, mastery learning that's one of the fields that he worked in mastery learning and that uh, involves obviously a group of students and being able to acquire mastery through instruction or having that influence as a designer or educator thank you for listening to style of origins we come back every week and we'll share more interesting info with you on next sunday's episode make sure that you if you want one of your topics to be discussed uh, drop us message on the message link that you have in the anchor page